Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today is a really, really special day because I get to interview my son, and uh, I'm very excited about it. I'm back in Hawaii. Uh, we've noticed that church planting, church multiplication is slowing down, yeah. and we're trying to kickstart it, and so we had a great meeting last night, but Carl, I just want to say welcome to the podcast, and then uh, we want to talk about your story a little bit, so yeah. so thankful, thank you for being here. Well... Thanks for having me, Dad. Um, no, it's really good. It's uh, it's been neat having you back in our lives. Um, being in Hawaii, getting the chance to hang out with you and Mom. She had to go home. I know a couple of days ago she had a high school reunion or something. But yeah, it's been really good um, just seeing what you're up to these days and trying to keep up with all the ministry you're still doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we get into this, I I want to get into your life. A little bit because you grew up in a church multiplication home and uh, ever since you're a little kid you know I, I noticed things I, I noticed you as a little boy uh, people would be trying to get to me and they couldn't get to me so they try to get to you you're like three four years old and mom and I would watch that you would respond to some people who you would trust Aaron Suzuki being one of them and then you other people you knew how to shut them off and we're, we're always pretty impressed with that, but tell what it was like growing up a little bit in Hope Hermosa and all that stuff that was going on before we moved. Yeah. Um, wow, we're going deep. We're going way back. Uh, no, my life as a PK, you know, as everybody gets the reputation, pastor's kid, you're either on fire for the Lord or you're going to fiery pit. <laughs> you either go one way or the other in some senses. And, um, you know, I, I face that when you're young and there's expectation on your life that maybe other people put on you or you put on yourself. And I, really, you guys tried your hardest not to put that on me. I'm grateful for that. But uh, being a pastor's kid, yeah, and you had a pretty large church when we left California. And uh, just growing up, and I've always been an observer, I think. Uh, sometimes labeled as shy or introverted or whatever, and I call myself that sometimes. But really, I think I just was a people watcher. And steadier and I learned a lot by watching and listening um, to the goings-on in the church and ministry and um, yeah sometimes there was people that did try to get to me to get to you or like you said but um, I remember those those early years where it was just busy but the church was always growing and people were always always finding Jesus and I found Jesus on my own thanks to your example, but you never forced it on me or made me pray or do anything. I, I just watched and I saw God's real. And man, I was just happy to be a part of it. You know, I can remember when um, you were a little kid and, and, and people would come to me about maybe you got a goofy haircut or you know, you're doing whatever kids were doing as a fad and oh, the PK this and the PK that. And I just kind of crawled down their throat because it's like, that's not the PK, that's my son, leave him alone. But I, I, again, I, I want to bring this up because it's it's been important in both of our lives, and that's the relationship with Aaron and Stephanie Suzuki. Uh, just a little sideline. I, I was a pastor, scared to death, a little tiny building, and on a New Year's Eve, this guy had, three days before, uh, made a date with himself to commit suicide, and a guy from a really conservative, uptight church uh, led him to the Lord that day. And... Uh, New Year's Eve, they come to our church because the guy said, you wouldn't like my church. He brought them over, a bunch of hippies, and we were doing a baptism, and, and we just grew this friendship. But then 
a little bit later on, uh, as, as he really came into our life, Carl accepted him and, and where he would kind of screen out a lot of people. He saw reality in, in Uncle Aaron. And uh, all these years later, you and Uncle Aaron are still pretty tight, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's been amazing just in the past, like, I don't know, a couple of years ago, a new major life change is going on. We can talk about that in a little bit. But um, God's been, man, he's a God of redemption. And he's a God of uh, reconnecting relationships and reconciliation. And it's, man, it's been good to come back into uh, Aaron and Stephanie's life again and for them to be in my life and my wife and my kids. And um, he's, he's just a great guy. He's, a, he's an uncle, he's a friend, he's a mentor. And we're really blessed to have him. And ever since those little, you know, early years when I was a little kid, Aaron was the coolest. He was the one that was always, before he had kids of his own, he was always the one taking me for rides on the motorcycle or letting me drive all his remote control. I mean, he was a tinkerer. He was like a, a hobbyist and he had remote controlled airplanes and gliders and helicopters and uh, motorcycles. And he was always letting me drive them. He took me to the Honda Raceway, uh, helped teach me how to surf along with you. And, uh, and then later on in ministry, just became another mentor in my life. And so... Yep, super blessed and thankful. Can't say enough about Aaron and Stephanie Suzuki. So when we left the church in Hermosa Beach, there were a little over 2,000 people there. And uh, we had sent 29 people out to plant churches from that church. If you're into exponential and the way that we talk about level one, level two, level three, level four, we were a level four church. We were pretty much trying to make clones of ourselves, And then we moved to Hawaii and we almost instantly became level five. We, we met illegally on a beach, uh, Kailua Beach Park under a how bush. And uh, I, I drove by there the other day, they've taken the bush out. So our original church planting location is gone. But uh, at that time, Aaron's job was to stand up against the tree. And, and if the cop came out of the car, he'd go slow him down long enough. I could take the offering and we would disband church. Uh, those were the kinds of things that we did. but. So only illegal because you didn't have a permit, right? Right. I don't want anyone to think you were dealing drugs. No, we weren't dealing drugs. Or no. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't get a permit to meet in a park, so we really were illegal. Mm. But we were the 30th church to come out of the big church in Hermosa. But I stood on the beach that day with a, a vision that the Lord had given us to reach 1% of the population in a decade. And at that time, there were a million people in Hawaii, so that would be uh, 10,000 people. And you know what, 10,000 people are never gonna sit around and listen to me talk, and I told everybody that. And so the plan was, I'm going to disciple you guys, and some of you are gonna become pastors, and we won't get the job done. But you're gonna disciple some guys, maybe some guys were dealing drugs today, who don't yet know Jesus, and you're gonna disciple them, they'll become a church planter, and together we'll all get the job done. And at that point, we went to that level five where you're multiplying. You're not just adding new churches. You're making new churches that make new churches that make new churches. Mm -hmm. But you were 11 years old at that time. Yeah. And um, so you kind of saw that from the ground up. And I, I remember because we were so small, once we got a little building in a park, we, we got you and your little buddy to be ushers. And that kind of made you into our head usher and six, eight months later, there's 30-year-old guys that are coming to you for instruction. And that's kind of the Hope Chapel way. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what I would call the Hope Chapel way, the values, the kind of stuff that, that drove us, that 
that helped us do whatever we did in Hawaii. I, th I think what was so effective about the Hope Chapel movement in our early church and even the discipleship to me and actually any of the very effective churches that I see around the world today, this is the mindset is always thinking young, is always thinking uh, and looking at who's coming up behind you and who can you train because you're not going to be here forever. As, as life is short and we do the best that we can do, but if we're out, who's going to carry it on? Like you said, churches that plant churches that plant churches. And, and uh, yeah, I know I was invested in and given lots of chances, probably more than I deserve for sure. We probably would all say that. But yeah, as a little kid, I became the head usher at like 12 years old. And that was weird and it was scary, but it also did something for me to boost me. And to me, it's like always when the Apostle Paul was talking to Timothy and he's like, Look, boy, I know you're scared. You're worried. You're nervous. You don't think you can pull it off. Maybe drink a little bit of wine. You might feel better. But main thing is you got what it takes. Let me remind you of what was stirred up in you, the words that were spoken over you. You can do it. And I think just the chance that we've all been given, what I've been given, allowed me to grow up and get into ministry on my own because you and the leadership of Hope Chapel, Pastor Aaron, everybody, you just, you just believed in us. And you let us kind of play in the game and um, I remember even taking over for you years later. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of the story, but when you turned the reins over of the church to me as lead pastor, I can remember that point in scripture when uh, Solomon, who's king after David, comes and he just cries out to the Lord. He goes, I just feel like a little kid. I don't know what to do. And that's when, you know, the famous situation where he says, God, just give me wisdom. I don't need money. I don't need success. Just I don't know what to do. I feel like a little kid. And I think you and the Hope Chapel movement is so good and the churches that do this around the world at empowering people that don't think they can and teaching them to believe that they can, yeah. that, that they can reach potential that's in them that you were able to see something in me, not because I was your kid, but because I was just right. a kid that was willing to try. And can I play? Yeah. And you gave us room to play. So thank you for that. Well, I actually thank Jeff McKay. Jeff, Jeff was... Uh, a young kid, I actually knew Jeff when he was a, 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 a child. I helped a guy named Jerry Cook start a church in Oregon called East Hill Church, and he was 25, I was 18. And that church really grew, it got huge. And this little blonde haired kid uh, who looked like he was destined to be a surfer named Jeff McKay was in that church. And later on, he came to a Bible college in California. He joined our church. Uh, we hired him to, to work in our print shop uh, we ended up firing him. It's a crazy story I can't go into. But we were all sitting around laughing and staff meeting. Who gets to fire Jeff? Because we all loved him. But he did something really kind of crazy. And we fired him. And and two weeks later, I announced that I was moving to Hawaii to start over. And Jeff is the first person that came to me and said, would it be okay if I joined the team? Can I come with you to Hawaii? And I, I go, Jeff, it's not like you get a job or anything. He goes, no, no, no. I'll just get a job in a print shop. Well, that was what we fired him from. He came to Hawaii, got a job in a print shop, started a youth group. It grew, it was a junior high group. It grew really rapidly. And then he did, he took some kids across kind of a dangerous hanging bridge and the parents got all upset. And, and so one of the church council guys fired Jeff right in front of me. And it's like, I was getting ready to try to rescue him. And Jeff said, no, that's fine. I'll just start a high school group. Their, their, their parents are more tolerant. Well, the high school group grew and grew and grew. and and Jeff had what we called a mini church at that time that was pretty big. And then he felt called to go to nearby Mililani town. He planted a really great church there. And he handed off the reins 
to that mini church to Carl and his buddy. And Carl's friend was a year older and Jeff never bothered to say who's gonna be the leader. He just said, you two guys, run it. That's right. And so everybody was kind of deferring to the older guy, but he didn't really have the leadership that it took, the, this, the gifts, the skills, what you call it, you did. And Barely. I, yeah, I know, you were scared. <laughs> yeah. Barely, yeah. I, I watched you being really scared, but I watched this, and it went back and forth, it seesawed, but I, I and, and, and you weren't trying to grab for any kind of authority, but it just kind of gravitated to you. The group shrank, which that would be what you'd expect when you, you hand off a, a 40, 50 people to two 15-year-old kids. And, and yet I sought stabilize. And, you know, I, I know that one of your guys is a missionary in Japan. Others have become pastors. Yep. Uh, that, that little mini church that was meeting in my house uh, turned into something pretty powerful because it's reaching around the world. Yeah. So I've, I've watched you do that. So as, as you kind of came up through the years, you were, you were leading many churches, you were leading missions to Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, tell, tell us a little bit about the time that, uh, I guess it was you and your girlfriend uh, were in Okinawa and the, the youth leader was gonna come in later, but there was a typhoon and so he wasn't able to come. And oh, you, guys, you guys had to help these kids weather a typhoon. Yeah. <laughs> what was uh, that one about? That was pretty heavy. Uh, I think I was about just out of high school or senior, I, somewhere right around there, and been planning uh, this Okinawa mission trip for like 11 days to lead about 15 to 20 students to a foreign country. It was my first trip like that ever. I was kind of like the assistant, and our youth pastor was the leader, obviously, the adult. <laughs> I was just barely, I don't know, a, a teenager, somewhere in there, like 18, something like that. And um, I had been with him in all the preparations, getting ready for the trip. And like two days before we were scheduled to leave and take all of these kids, he got sick. He got really sick with like the flu to the point where he couldn't get out of bed. And we had all the tickets booked and all of this. And he said, Carl, you got to lead the team. And I'm like, wait, I, I can't. I'm like, I'm kind of a kid on the team. You know, like I was, I was old enough. I was 18, but... Uh, just barely again it's like one of those times and someone just took a chance on me and he goes I trust you the parents trust you I'm like you even talk to the parents the parents probably yeah. don't even know but no he did he, he cleared it with the parents and, and everybody and they trusted and he said I'm going to get better in a couple days and at the most it'll take me two days I'll be right over there and I'll meet you and talk about scary uh, I had to leave I, all these kids met up at the church then to the airport I had to fly these kids over there and I was pretty much solely responsible for this thing. And uh, we went over there and I had to lead and we hooked up at this public school we were staying at. We met with our connections on the other end. There was like 20 kids from Okinawa signed up for a summer fun program that I had to start. And just, I mean, all of that just to say, it was like, we believe in you, Carl. Yeah, you're young. You may not think you're ready, but we think you can pull it off. We believe in you. And I went and it turned out to be a crazy trip. and. Uh, our youth pastor did join us a couple days later, but we weathered our first typhoon. We had to batten down all the hatches and the doors and, you know, people's cars could blow around in the parking lot. It was just a full-on uh, typhoon type deal. And we got through it. But that was one of those lessons where, man, people really do trust me. They're taking a chance on me. And I must have what it takes if they see it in me. And it causes you to rise. 
So it was a, it was one of those valuable lessons and memories that I always had in my life. It was good. So I remember you guys doing a lot of stuff in Japan over the years, and yeah. and I remember one trip that we were together. You got real sick on the Shinkansen, and I was really scared of that. Yeah. One. But um, you kind of rebelled against mom and me because we we were hoping that you'd stay home and go to University of Hawaii, and and I knew you would. You at that point wanted to be a pastor, and. Mm. And we thought, well, you know, we train pastors, so we wanted to do that. And, and then you rebelled and went to a Bible college. But while you're in the Bible college, uh, I, I was catching a little bit of flack because you and your friend started a couple churches. I want you to go into that pretty good. Tell about yeah. Sumo. And, um, uh, but, but, the, but the denomination licensed you guys and you, you, know, you hadn't graduated from the school and all that. And some of the professors got all upset but you knew how to pastor better than some of those professors because of what you'd done as a high school kid. And that was a, a really stark contrast. And the interesting thing was that the denomination understood that and they really stood with you. And that was true. very, very powerful. But I, I went to that building that you guys inherited, that first building, there's bullet holes in the walls of the church and yeah. drive-by shootings in the neighborhood. And, and you took this derelict old building in, in a, I think largely Hispanic neighborhood and yeah. you two guys from Hawaii went in there and started a church. Uh, and then I think you started another one. And, and then after that, take us into Huntington beach and, and what was going on in those years. Yeah. So, so I went to Bible college, not because I wanted to be a pastor, but because I just, I wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. Uh, to, to be honest with you, you know, the story, I didn't want to be a pastor my whole life. Like actually I saw what you went through and, and the commitment and the, and the dedication and, and the sacrifice that it takes. And I thought, man, better him than me. Like, <laughs> that's cool. Um, but I do love God and I want to serve him however I can. And I was doing youth ministry, like I said. And if he wants me to be a youth pastor, I could do that. Or if he wants me just to be a missionary or whatever. But Lord, please don't let me ever have to be a lead pastor. That's senior pastor. That's, that's not my deal. But I'll do anything else. And uh, so I did go to Bible college and it took me a couple of years to settle in. You know, I was a kid in the back of the class falling asleep and kind of always going, well, God, I'll give you one more semester. Okay, I'll give you one more semester. And then he finally said, you serious about this or what? And so I committed and graduated. And yeah, along the way, um, the, the amazing thing is, I don't know if you remember, but you and the church had already given me a district pastoral license. Oh, that's now, right. I forgot about the, that. The, the denomination we were with at the time, um, they give international licenses to graduates when upon ordination. You know, there's all these steps, this whatever, however the liturgical stuff goes. But you were in the habit of believing in people, Apostle Paul, finding the Timothys. And I was one of those guys. And, and we had to read a few books. We had to learn about... The, the denomination, the denominational leadership and governance that we were in and take some stuff, some courses about the Bible, but nothing too big. In other words, you're just trying to get people that love God want to do something for them out there in the field right. and authorizing them with yeah. a district license. And so I had that. I think I had it already going to college. Yeah. And, um, and then along the way, I got licensed or whatever. And yeah, one of my previous youth pastors, Blaine Sato, Sumo, as a lot of people would know him, he was up there. We were going to Bible college together. We were roommates together. Um, there was an empty building that was kind of in the hood. Like you said, there was legit bullet holes in the sides of it. And some of the kids in our youth group had been shot. And there was it was a kind of a rough neighborhood. It was in Ontario, California. And 
honestly, I don't know if it's still like that today or if it was just back then, but it was tough at the time. And so he's this big Japanese guy and I'm just like this little Haole part Filipino guy. And both of us are from Hawaii, out of our culture, out of our zone. But we just kind of like did what we were taught, how to love people, meet them where they're at. Don't make anybody feel dumb. Just meet them at their level and just go in and serve them. And uh, we, we kind of co-pastored a church for a few years there in Bible college. And it was really cool. And a lot of the Bible college kids and friends were part of it. And we'd, we'd take these inner city kids from the hood to the beach and take them surfing and they don't even know what they're doing they're like putting wetsuits on backwards and they're drowning in like two feet of water and we just we just loved people and it was crazy for us and we learned lessons and so yeah that was a church plant that was a crazy one 